Hello and welcome to ISP, the Internet School Podcast. I'm Ellie Marshall. And I'm Eve Ahern. This is a special episode of ISP because it is, in all likelihood, the final episode. Eve and I have recently submitted our thesis projects to the Oxford Internet Institute, and barring any disasters, we will both be awarded the MSc in Social Science of the Internet very soon. So we thought that instead of letting ISP die off into the night, that this great project deserves a send-off of its own. We started the podcast to explore what corners internet academia reached into, and now we want to talk about the discipline as a whole. What is internet studies anyway? Last weekend, I was visiting a friend, and a couple asked us to take their photo, and then we all got to talking. The couple was wildly impressed, as they should be, that my friend was doing a DPhil in art history here at Oxford, but I couldn't shake their belief that I was doing an online course. Understandable, of course. We're not doing an online version of Oxford courses, but rather courses in person here about the internet. Very weird. (laughs) Again, what is internet studies anyway? Ugh, right. So in search of an answer to that eternal question, what is internet studies? We interviewed eight faculty members at the OII about internet studies as a discipline. It's interesting. When we were planning this episode, we were expecting the answers to these questions about internet studies to be really varied. But instead, they took on some reoccurring themes or patterns. Right. But before we get into that, let's start by letting our panelists, if you will, introduce themselves. Hi, I'm uh, Bernie Hogan. I'm a research fellow at the Oxford Internet Institute, and I'm a sociologist. I mean, I started out in my undergrad as a Marxist sociologist, and then I went into queer theory, uh, and that was in sociology while at the same time I was doing computer science and programming and coding, and I, I didn't really consolidate them, but thought of the two in tension with each other uh, during my graduate studies and certainly through my, um, through my research now. I see my role right now is on an organizational level. For example, I've recently hosted here at Oxford the conference uh, ICWSM, the International Conference on Web and Social Media. I'm Grant Blank. I'm a survey research fellow here at the OII. Oh, my background is very broad, and so my contribution is in very in many areas. I have a book on meaning, which is basically qualitative uh, work. Of course, I'm here as a survey research fellow, um, and OXIS has been enormously fruitful in terms of finding things for various uh, pieces of that need population-level data and representative data. My personal research agenda just depends on what sort of problems um, are going on right now. The next interesting thing that I hope to start work on in the fall is a project on the, the whole question of age period cohort effects on the internet. Because there's this theory that says, and you see this even among faculty here, uh, who say, oh, all these old people are just going to die, so we don't need to care, we don't care about we don't need to train them, we don't need to worry about them. Well, that's a particular, that involves some particular assumptions about whether the internet, the use of the internet is primarily a cohort effect. If it is also, if there are age effects there, then that's not going to be true. And my suspicion is there are age effects, and there's some preliminary evidence for that. For example, for the entire 10-year period of OXIS, the basic pattern of the relationship between age and internet use is between um, very young people about to age 50, there has been one relationship. And um, the most recent data from the 19, the 2013 wave says that we have about 
100% of the teenage population on the internet, somewhere about 85% of the people who are in their late 40s, about age 50. At that point, there's a very sharp bend in the curve, and internet use drops dramatically until uh, you reach age 75, and their use is down to 25 to 35%. That pattern has been true ever since the original survey in 2003, and the year in which that particular elbow occurs hasn't changed. That's evidence that there's an age effect, mm -hmm. that it's not just a cohort effect. But no one has been able, no one else other than OXIS has data that's going to allow this question to even be addressed, let alone know what they're doing. Hi, uh, I'm Taha Yasseri. Uh, I'm a research fellow in computational social science here at UIA. My background is in physics, theoretical physics, more specifically physics of complex systems, uh, which are systems which consist of many interacting uh, elements. And those interactions are non-trivial or non-linear, if you want to use the technical term. Uh, examples of are, you know, uh, social systems, of course, as a very good example of a complex system, uh, are brain, uh, economical systems, languages, uh, traffic systems, urban cities, uh, countries, international relations, all these uh, type of systems you could consider within the same framework and we call that framework complex systems. Over the past few years uh, in physics of complex systems, uh, methods and techniques have been developed which are very powerful in studying many of those systems that I just named, uh, a bit less than in, in, in relation to social systems. Uh, and societies, which are the most puzzling type of complex systems or the most complicated systems in this area. Uh, my contribution to the research at the OIA is based on this ground. Uh, I try to apply methods from statistical physics, from uh, mathematics of networks to just understand, to model, and to eventually predict social behavior, of course, at aggregate level and at collective level. Uh, the example that I always give is that we are not interested in the movement of individual atoms when we study a cylinder of a gas. We are interested in micro, micro uh, parameters and micro behavior of the system. The same here, I'm not interested in individual behavior of individuals in a society. What I'm interested in is the collective behavior and how I can build a model which predicts this, and which, of course, explains and predicts this collective behavior. Hi, I'm Ralph Schroeder. I'm the director of the Master's Program in Social Science of the Internet at the Oxford Internet Institute. But what I do is I try to not so much, apart from the technical, lack of technical skills, quite apart from anything else, I don't engage in it very much myself, scraping data and so on. But what I do is I look at these different studies across different parts of the world. And I think that's something that you know, people with a good social science and comparative background can do, which other researchers may not be able to do. And to put it also into the perspective of different social theorists. So take a very simple question like globalization. And you could say, roughly speaking, What's the difference between microblogging platforms like Twitter, which are pretty widespread across the world, and the microblogging platforms that are used in China, which, as we know, 
are for the most part completely different. And yet equally, if not more important than Twitter, but those are just platforms that we forget about because much of the research is being carried out in Western countries. So in relation to this big question of globalization, which many people feel, one of the things that you might ask is, are they similar or different? And the evidence points in a number of different directions. I mean, they, there are huge amounts of similarities. We tend to think, for example, of China as this kind of closed off, walled garden. That's to some extent right. But I think in terms of what goes on on these platforms and the different people and groups that microblogging gives voice to, as opposed to other traditional media, then there are actually a lot of similarities between the two. So you can see, for example, that extremist far-right groups uh, get a lot more traction on microblogging platforms, both in the West and in China, than they do in traditional media. I mean, we tend, including at the Oxford Internet Institute, but I think this is uh, a problem with research more widely, we tend to focus on the good uses, right? the positive uh, uses of the internet. And we tend to ignore the kind of seamy underside, if you like, or the less positive uses that the internet can be put to. And I think that's going to be an interesting area to explore. My name is Luciano Floridi, and I'm the Professor of uh, Ethics and Philosophy of Information at the uh, Oxford Internet Institute, University of Oxford, and I'm also the Director of Research at AII. So I am a philosopher, 100%. I cannot claim any other particular expertise. Um, I grew up as a, an epistemologist, philosophy of knowledge and logician. So my contact was always with computer science, and I was dabbling with computer science for some time. Um, although, again, I'm not a computer scientist myself. Uh, through that particular uh, approach, I came to be interested in the nature of information, uh, the practices of information, and therefore also the ethics of so if you see philosophy as uh, asking the possibly the, the deepest and the most open questions that we have in mind, the ones which are not constrained by either a set of facts or uh, mathematical uh, formula to such an extent that you can solve them by using only facts and formula, but they are sufficiently open to leave space for debate, well, that's where a philosophy of information and ethical information comes to be useful, and that's why Internet Studies, broadly understood, uh, became the next step. If you want to do philosophy today, uh, that's the area where you can Hello, my name is Greg Taylor. I'm a research fellow here at the Oxford Internet Institute, um, and by disciplinary background, I'm an economist. Um, for Internet Studies to survive, if I may put it so dramatically, I guess two things need to happen. Um, the first is that people really need to focus on what is fundamental and what is new here. So not just reinventing the wheel of looking at old phenomena um, dressed up in new clothes, but also thinking about what are the sort of fundamental new social phenomena that we see online, or the fundamental new environments that really have no analogue in the traditional world. Um, and I think that's somewhere where economists have kind of set a fairly nice precedent because Economists tend to be pretty good at boiling things down to what is their most sort of basic fundamental underpinning. Um, and I think that would be a sort of good template for other 
people from other traditions to follow is to start to think about, you know, is this really new um, or not? I mean, the other thing I would say about um, economics and um, perhaps uh, the value that it can bring is that um, economists, I think, have been quite resistant to the sort of hype bubble that has emerged around big data and a lot of the related um, issues that have been kind of in the media quite a lot recently. And I think um, that storm is eventually going to blow over and people are going to continue to be interested in sort of rigorous means of asking questions, not only about what correlations do we see in the data, but also how do we establish causal mechanisms to really drill down to what are the underlying social phenomena again. So it comes back to this idea of um, not only looking at interesting new patterns that we see online, but tying them back to really what is the fundamental social mechanisms at work. Um, and I think there's a rich, a real richness in the economics literature as far as um, addressing these sorts of causal questions are from a methodological standpoint. And so again, I think that sets quite a nice template for um, something I think that internet studies scholars could do to help um, ensure that their field is really viewed as being a legitimate one, and uh, one that is valued not only by other internet studies scholars, but also by the academic community more broadly. My name is Joss Wright. I'm a research fellow here at the OII. Um, my background is in computer science. My PhD was about the formal modeling and later the simulation of anonymous communication systems. And that led on to work in privacy, work in privacy led on to sort of more general work in, in uh, freedom of expression and uh, human rights. I now do a lot of work with internet censorship and privacy online. So then I guess with that point on like spearheading um, the distribution of research, mm -hmm. how does your like, background um, well, I mean, as I said, from my perspective, I've got this advantage of coming from the harder sciences and moving towards the, the, the social sciences, um, which has numerous benefits, um, not least in the fact that the way the UK government chooses to fund research greatly favours the hard sciences because they see that as something that has direct economic benefits. Now, we could get into a much longer debate about whether straight economic benefit is the goal of research, but I'll get angry and start eating the microphone. Um, but, but, I mean, so from, from my background, I, I feel that my role is often rightly or wrongly or effectively or ineffectively to try and be as much of an ambassador towards the computer science conferences and say, look, you need to think about uh, social implications. You need to think about um, the the effects of technologies. You need to think about ethics, which is a huge, huge issue in computer science, especially network research at the moment. Because um, on that point, I mean, network research has traditionally been how fast can we get packet A to from, from point A to point B, um, and it's only recently that as we've started to do more network measurement, it's a case of this is these are real people communicating the effect of your research can have direct real-world implications. And there's a little bit of an ethics crisis going on in, well, it would be nice if it got as far as an ethics crisis. It's sort of maybe should be an ethics crisis to a different place. And so I think that, that idea of bridging the hard sciences, but also selling the social sciences to a field that is relatively dismissive of 
social implication. And for me, that involves walking a fine line between having to prove that I'm doing real science as well, and so publishing stuff that has real computer science merits behind it, while at the same time always including the elements of social science and saying that this is something you do need to engage with if you're going to, um, going to make this a broader interdisciplinary tool. I'm Jonathan Bright. I'm a research fellow at the Oxford so I do two things, uh, basically. I'm interested in political behaviour, especially online political behaviour. How do people get information about politics? And how do they share this information with other people? And a little bit about how they apply this information. I haven't done so much about that. But I'm interested in looking at how, for example, aggregate patterns of information seeking uh, might relate to electoral outcomes. If people look for information online about minor political parties, uh, they do this before the election, and how this might relate to electoral outcomes. I'm interested in news sharing. Uh, we know that social media is becoming a really important platform for the distribution of news content. Uh, the major news websites are starting to see 10 or 15% of their traffic coming through social media, whereas it used to be through, through search. And this, these people coming in, this is really important traffic, if you search for something and you arrive at a news website, you're quite likely to leave. If you come through social media, you're much more likely to stick around. And for local news websites, this is something that's even more important. So I'm quite interested in how people decide what bits of news to share, how, how this relates to editorial decisions, whether editors can shape the, the news agenda. And a lot of this, I suppose, perhaps that does contradict what I said, because that, that does relate to a specific internet effect rather than a social media effect. But it also allows you to get at more broadly why do people pass on, on news? Well, that's the first thing, that's online political behavior. And the second thing is about smart cities. I'm really interested in how we can use, again, these types of big data sources uh, to improve government decision making and the government policy implementation. I'm doing a lot of work uh, with the local government here about um, looking at various different ways that they could use internal administrative data better to answer questions that they've had trouble answering. So that, um, uh, using existing administrative data sets, um, a good example is SLOW, they used uh, a wastewater consumption to try and estimate how many people are, are living there. I mean, there's also a big political question, which is how many people are living there relate to how much money they have put into the budget. Uh, finding other ways to track this type of thing uh, can, be, can be really important. So there, there's really a lot of in interest right now from local government policymakers, especially how they can use their own sources of big data. Great. So now that we have a sense of who everyone is, we can address this question more directly. People tended to answer this question in two parts. They named whether or not it was a unified discipline and what it would be called. And then the second part was whether if it was a unified discipline, what kind of research would come out of this exactly? Right, and then from that came a further fracturing of research paradigms, like should it take a postmodern view, a positive view? And so really the conversation was about these two divisions. Is it a discipline? And then if it is, what is it doing? Let's start with Greg laying out the first division. Is it a discipline at all? So in two words, I think the future of internet studies is existential crisis. <laughs> So, I mean, if you look at internet studies as a field and you ask yourself, what is it? It's not clear to me that anybody really knows. I mean, it's sort of a 
loose collection of people from all sorts of disciplinary backgrounds and traditions who have come together through this sort of shared interest in um, the internet and technology and all of the issues that it throws up. Um, but a lot of the time they work fairly independently within the traditions that they brought from their own background. Um, and they also go back to that background when they look to disseminate their work and share it. Um, and a lot of the work is published in traditional journals that are very much tied to this traditional disciplinary identity. And so far that's worked quite well because um, there's a lot of novelty and a lot of excitement around the phenomena that we see online. Um, and so there's been a lot of interest, I think, in understanding these things. Uh, and so there's been a lot of interest also back in the home disciplines when this is taken back then. Um, but one then has to think about what does the future in the medium to long term um, hold um, and how sustainable is it for people really to continue to see this as being this kind of separate and interesting thing that is worthy of um, the title Internet Studies and being treated as a sort of distinct uh, area of study. Um, and I think the answer to those questions is still uncertain. So um, one of the things that we need to see in the future is how exactly people's views of this area evolve um, and whether it continues to be uh, an area which is identifi identified independently um, or whether it's sort of subsumed back into kind of more traditional disciplines like economics and sociology and political science. I don't think either outcome would be tragic for internet <laughs> studies. Um, I think it's really a matter of looking at which approach kind of works best in terms of providing people with um, the methodological support and the kind of audience that they need for their work. Um, but I think that sort of consideration will shape um, the way that people approach the field of internet studies. And then Bernie explained why he thinks there's no single future. I don't think internet studies has a single future. Uh, I really see it sort of splitting into a number of epistemologies, a number of ways of knowing. We have uh, one way of knowing with the trace data, digital methods, and a lot of that's still really positivist, very much oriented towards prediction and modeling, uh, and it's wildly successful. It's going to continue down that vein and sort of draw in computer scientists and physicists, uh, sociologists, particularly analytic sociologists. There's another sort of version of this that's more linked towards uh, social sciences and humanities, uh, towards media studies, uh, that's very um, postmodern, often very critical, and rarely do these two uh, meet because they do tend to problematize each other right at the at the at the lowest levels. So it's hard to see the the few studies that come in the middle, even though some do exist. Grant agrees that the future is increasingly complex. Well, the future of internet studies is, I think, increasingly complex. Because on the one hand, uh, there is an enormous amount of data available of all kinds. Um, the techniques for handling very large amounts of data are experimental in many cases. Um, and uh, it's not clear where they're going to go. Um, and the large amounts of data do not generally um, feed well into theory. Um, and so on that note, you need more small-scale uh, qualitative work that uh, involves small numbers of subjects who are being interviewed in much more depth. Um, 
So there's a, a need for that kind of work as well, and I think some of that is being pursued. Um, and then there's a large amount of intermediate level work, um, including all kinds of surveys um, and specialized projects that are connected to particular topics um, and you know, the sharing economy, so the sharing for um, social media. Then Luciano raised the point that maybe this conversation about it being a discipline or not might not actually matter. So there are two ways of answering that question, at least. Uh, one is about the actual area, the research to be done. And I think it's a fantastic area of research, uh, the area that needs some of the best minds that we have around uh, to invest uh, some of the best time. Um, it's going to be highly rewarding. Uh, and for once, you can engage with uh, new topics, new problems, which of course have a long history. Everything comes with a legacy but you can actually explore and uh, discover uh, intellectual challenges, intellectual problems that uh, have been not been uh, discussed uh, to an immense length before. So that is one answer. The other answer is the specific label for this new continent that we need to explore. The continent is exciting. Whether it's going to be uh, called uh, Colombia or America, that's uh, a different story. And uh, certainly Internet Studies uh, is uh, a okay label. I know lots of people who criticize it. Uh, some people are, are getting attached to it. Would it last? I'm not quite sure. Uh, would the topic suffer from lack of a label at the moment? I don't think so. Uh, will it go forward? Yes. Despite the lack of a label? Yes. So something like cybernetics was there before. Uh, it disappeared as a label. No, you don't find cybernetic institutes or departments around the world. And yet, Machine learning, AI, robotics are flourishing. So with that comparison in mind, I think we have a, a bright future, no matter what label we put attached to it. Docs echoed what Luciano was just saying, noting that computer science itself was only fairly recently considered to be a distinct here at Oxford. From my perspective, as a computer scientist, now everyone who I speak to who works in this field has this tendency to say, oh, I started in one field and now I'm in this completely different field. And so you've got people who say, oh, I'm an African studies person and nobody in the internet studies field understands African studies. And I feel very similar with computer science in that um, I feel relatively unique here in that the majority of people who work in this area tend to be social scientists who have become increasingly technical and work with, with computers and data and internet connectivity and things like that. Whereas from my perspective, I come from the field of working with internet and data and computers, and I've moved into a social science direction. So I feel that I come at this from the opposite direction to a lot of people. Um, but that's actually the best thing about this, this field of study is that it's inherently interdisciplinary. I think at the moment, because of the traditional setup of fields of study in academia, um, interdisciplinary work is something that we all say is a good thing and talk about being a good thing, um, but there's little embedded support for that in, in the way that our fields work. So particularly if you're talking about publishing work, you do work in one field or you do work in another field, but if you try to do social science research or social science inspired research and publish it in computer science conferences, um, you run into serious problems. Um, in some senses, 
going in the other direction is a little bit easier because if you do some relatively technical computer science work and try and publish it in a social science venue, you often have a, a little bit of a, a get-out-of-jail-free clause because lots of people don't understand all the, all the stuff <laughs> you've been doing. But at the same time, the problem with that is that you're not feeding back to the community computer science. So I think one thing that internet studies is going to be spearheading, but which is probably going to be a broader feel across academia, is the idea of finding ways to get research put out to the appropriate communities and actually bring interdisciplinarity together. So I think internet, internet studies has got a role there. Um, and I'd certainly like to see that happen. And when I manage conferences, then that's something I, I work on actively. Um, the standard question, the standard response that comes up is, is often this, this idea that why do we need a, an internet studies um, department at all? Um, should we just be swallowed up into the standard social sciences or should we you know, work within computer science? But these are arguments that have happened for lots of fields. I mean, you've got your traditional sort of departments, you know, certainly sort of theology or maths or you know, chemistry, a few people. I mean, even chemistry, biology, physics, these are the natural sciences. So somebody might say, why, why not just have natural sciences? Why do you need a chemistry department? Why do you need a, a physics department? Um, the computer science department here in Oxford, until very recently, was still called the computer, the computer laboratory because it was initially part of the chemistry department where they started needing to use computers to do simulations and calculations. And it's only just changed its name to a computer science department. And until quite recently, you get people saying, why not maths? You know, why not just call it maths? Um, and you're just doing computation within that. Um, so I think, you know, internet studies is something that has a valid role to play. Um, even as the internet becomes a huge part of society, it's still a distinct separate aspect it's something that has different forms and effects. And the same, you know, the same is true. Politics is part of society, but we don't argue against whether there's a political science department. So I think internet studies going forward will become more embedded, more accepted, um, and hopefully will start to draw together. It's, it's a fascinating world to draw together the, the more social sciences and the more technical sciences. Um, and uh, I think we just need to um, look into all the different areas that can be touched with this particular lens. Keeping with Luciano's point that the name of this discipline is irrelevant to the research that's being done, let's hear what these researchers think the outcome of this field could or should be. So Ralph picked the key phrase from the headlines and explained the importance of big data to internet studies. Well, one of the big things is obviously big data. Uh, in quite a bit at the OII. And I think that probably has to be one of the biggest. And it's interesting partly because it kind of branches out into all sorts of other disciplines. So it's not just within internet studies, which is important, but in other academic disciplines and in the world at large. I mean, it goes over to marketing and into cybersecurity and into all sorts of other areas of society. So, so that's one big area, but I think I have a, a pretty distinctive take on this insofar as, I mean, I think big data is important, but I think we also shouldn't exaggerate it. And the reason for saying that is that if you think about what it actually 
mean? What is actually about? Or let's just say, say for communication or social science researchers, marketing is mainly about analyzing new social media, or however we want to call them. Twitter, it's about LinkedIn, it's about Facebook, and so on. And I think there's tremendously exciting research in that area, and it's just sprouting like mushrooms. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's going in all sorts of different directions, and they're interesting, but we shouldn't kind of forget that these tell us a limited amount of stuff about what human or social relationships are all about. Ralph raises the point here that maybe big data occludes the personal effects of the internet, and this is something that Taha picked up on, talking about the increasing connection between research and practice. Well, uh, when I look into the recent years and where we were coming from, uh, I can extrapolate that to the future as well a bit. I think what has changed a lot during the last few years is the is about the distance between research and practice, uh, real-world practices. Previously, we had real-world phenomena out there, uh, services, websites, platforms, new things, and then we had researchers within the university and research institutions. And these two universes were kind of disconnected. But uh, the, the connection between these two universes is becoming uh, stronger and stronger as we proceed in time. And I think in the next few years, uh, what we're going to see is a very uh, constructive collaboration between these two entities. Uh, I can already think of real time research, which means that you collect the data in real time, you analyze the data build a theory and you feed it back to the service or to the platform that you collected the data from and then you already can see the changes uh, due to your suggestions or due to your research applied to the platform and then of course it makes your job harder because then you have to collect the data again because the system that you've been studied is not you've been studying is not the same as before due to your own research uh, and I think this feedback, this closed loop, is very constructive, not only uh, because it gives us the opportunity to, to have a deeper understanding of, this, of those social phenomena, but also it leads to a better service uh, to the public. Uh, so whatever the aim of those systems or platforms are, uh, I think in this process we, we help them to improve the services that they're providing. Interestingly, these are all fairly descriptive ideas themselves of what internet studies is. We also heard some normative ideas about what it should be. Right. There's an opportunity in internet studies to discuss basically whether or not technology actually improves the human experience or not. And this is something that Grant alluded to. And then, of course, the, the big thing that's going on right now is this enormous from a technical perspective at least, is this enormous growth of um, mobile use of the internet. Now to some extent, it's not a big change, it's just people are using the internet in different places. Uh, and that's not changing anything particularly, and there's no necessary reason to study that. On the other hand, it is changing certain things. Um, I think it's leading to a reevaluation of things like access which is a topic that sort of was big in the 90s and early 2000s and then kind of disappeared as a, an important research topic and is now coming back again. Interestingly, I think the thing I'm interested in 
might be what Jonathan explains here as best left to historians. What internet studies is meant for, or, or it means a lot of different things to different people over the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years the field's been around. But I think where it's going is a move away from the focus on the internet itself as an object of study. The last, the last decade or so has really been about asking, repeatedly asking this question of what is the internet effect? It's been that question asked in a lot of dis different disciplines. What impact does the internet have on news communication? What impact does it have on voting? What impact does it have on markets, etc.? All about this question of we used to have a no internet world and now we've got one, how does that change everything? I think people have got a bit dissatisfied with that, or they've been dissatisfied with it probably for a long time, partly because it, it breaks into this very simplistic dichotomy about does it have a bad effect or a good effect, uh, partly because in a way it's a really kind of too broad question, I think, for social science. And I think that's something a historian will decide on. I think the historians are best at tackling this very big question. But there's so much other stuff going on in the last 10, 15 years, 20 years. You know, 9-11, financial crisis, war in Iraq, all this kind of stuff. Very difficult to disentangle, I think, from, from the internet. Um, you know, and, and the last reason is that it's not really a practical question. And I think most, in the end, social science is quite a practical dis discipline. You can't turn off the internet. I mean, you can try and spread it a bit more, but lots of you know that that diffusion is kind of reaching saturation in a lot of places, or especially in the developed countries. Most of the people that don't have the internet right now, it's probably because you don't really want it, or you're not really interested in using it. And that there are still digital divides, or etc. But the, you know, so it's getting less and less of an interesting question. What, what is this internet? Where I think the field is going, and I think a lot of people are more interested in, in this right now, is um, using the internet as a way of studying all of these other types of social questions that we're interested in, uh, in, a, in a couple of ways. First, there's this obvious turn towards big data, which social science is basically meaning conducting very large-scale observational studies of how people behave online using spontaneously found data sets, um, which have been generated based other purposes, Wikipedia, build this example. And these data sets are kind of like Christmas for social scientists, right? Because the whole field, the whole field is really structured around the idea that data is very, very difficult to collect. And that when you do your introductions um, to research design or just how to design social science research, you've got in the background the structuring assumption that you can't get much data. So you should spend a long time thinking about your theory, your hypotheses, your questions. You should spend a long time thinking about what data should I go and collect and make sure it's high quality. And then the statistical techniques you use, most of which were designed around the idea that data was very sparse, are designed to maximize the kind of power of finding very weak relationships and small data sets. A lot of the statistics that we teach are about, you know, they're really adapted to clinical trials, for example. You can't just go and give hundreds of thousands. Um, but all of that changes in like this kind of this explosion of, of big data, and that that's you know one of the reasons why people are really interested in it is you can test all, all sorts of hypotheses which were previously very difficult difficult to test. Find these very kind of detailed and fine grained sub sub samples of data. You can observe, for example, viral diffusion actually in action, and all the stuff that Duncan Watts was going to. I think is pretty great. So. 
that's the, I, I think that's the kind of main turn in the field is that internet's become a place where data is being generated, and this in itself can just become a place where you ask all sorts of other social science research questions. And that, I suppose, begs the question of whether it makes sense to have an internet studies field. Do you need a kind of internet specialization as a discipline, or is it just going to be drawn off into lots of different fields? And that, I suppose, I'm still wondering about that. I, th I think you could see it more kind of diffusing into other fields rather than staying its own uh, independent discipline, if, if it ever really thinks about it. Wow, yeah. I started off college as a history major, and maybe I'll come full circle if this whole internet studies business ends up merging back up with history. I know. Also, it makes me think that if you read my thesis, you could basically say I just pretended that I was taking a cultural studies course here at Oxford which is what I did as an undergrad. But the main thing is, and this is to toot my own horn and your horn, Eve, <laughs> that I think Luciano is ultimately right. Regardless of what internet studies is called, the study of these issues, connectivity, the domestication of technology, globalization, e-health, e-government, e-business, requires the best minds. That's something I'm certain of. And something I'm proud to say this podcast has accomplished by covering all of these issues. I agree. Hype and hope. Isn't that what we decided last episode could be the name of any internet studies book ever? It seems like it works for the discipline, too. Thanks for listening. It's been a real fun run. I hope you enjoyed ISP, the Internet School Podcast.